0: We're going to be in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and um, I, I have to confess something. I, I I have been going like way too long in the preaching, so I'm going to try, really, really try to go a little bit quicker this morning. However, um, this passage is one I wish I could preach every week for the rest of the year because it's so amazing what we're going to get into, this truth, this reality that God is bringing. It's like... Um, so every year, we have a team that goes to Alaska, and we work at this Christian uh, Bible camp, uh Bible camp there, and it's right in the middle of the Lake Clark National Preserve. So it's one of the most beautiful places that you will ever see on planet Earth, and I have taken pictures and videos, and I try to describe it to people, but until... I have the chance to take you there and actually stare at Tenalien Mountain and fly through the pass and see the glaciers and see just the beauty of what it is, you're not really going to get it. And so what I'm asking here, uh, because I'm so limited in my ability to just describe the love of God, we really need the spirit of God to show us what that is. And I, I just believe that the Spirit of God can do what I could never do, and that is to really show you the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of God's love for you. So you want to you hear about that today? Yeah. You want to see that? Um, I can't do that just on my own. We need God uh, in the midst. And so let me, um, let me pray for that and just ask that, um, and, uh, and that God would just really make his love come alive to us this morning. Father, we love you. And God, uh, I I am so thankful for your word this morning. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that what we're going to read are the very words that you have said to your followers, that you've said to your people. Um, What an incredible just, what an incredible reality that, God, we can actually hear from you this morning. And so, Father, I'm praying uh, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and that you would show us the grandeur and the majesty and the magnificent and just the beauty of your love for us this morning. And we need you, Spirit, for that. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just move with power and freedom, God, give us an awareness of your presence this morning that just drowns out all the noise and distractions of the week we've had or the week that we're heading into, and God, just um, quiet us in your love this morning. Let us hear from you. And, and I do this often, but I just wanna give you the opportunity to just, to pray that very simple prayer. God, would you just show me um, who you are today? Would you speak to me? So just, just right wherever you are, uh, just pray that right now, that God, would you speak to me? And then I, I just wanna selfishly ask that you'd pray for me um, Because this this passage is just so beautiful to me, and I I just really want, want you to get what God has done in me this week. And so if you would, just pray for me that God would just control me, use me in this moment. Jesus, this is always for your glory, your fame, your renown. It's in your name we pray, amen. So John chapter 15 is where we're at now. Remember the context of where we're at in this passage. Uh, we just went through chapter 14 and Jesus is speaking to his followers in the midst of heightened anxiety in the midst of massive uncertainty about what their future is gonna hold, um, you know, the, the, Jesus has just said to them, I'm leaving, you can't come with me, I'm going to prepare a place, but I will come back. And in the meantime, last week, chapter 14, he says, I'm sending another helper, I'm sending another advocate. So he's preaching his plan. He's preaching the sovereign plan that's always been from the beginning to them. And he's talking about them, about the gifts, sending the presence and the power of his spirit and their heads are just spinning because they're trying to kind of file all this stuff away. And then, so Jesus lays all that stuff out for them and then he takes a breath and then comes John chapter 15. Listen what he says, verse one. I am the true vine and my father is a gardener. So Jesus is telling them, listen, right off the bat, I want you to know, I understand fully what's happening in this moment. I know who I am. I know what's supposed to happen in the story. I know what I'm supposed to do in the story. I know who my father is. I know what he's all about. I trust him. And he's looking at his guys. He's looking at these followers, these disciples, and he, and he says, listen, I know what Friday and I know what Saturday is going to be like for you guys. And I know what it's going to be, and I want you just to tune in here. I know what you're about to encounter. I know what you're about to experience. I want you to tune in on what this is. He says, I am the true vine, and my father, he's the gardener. Remember, Jesus is getting closer and closer to his death, so he's trying to make it more and more clear, more and more simple for these guys. And, and he's saying, I am the real root of the matter. What, what roots and trunks are to trees, Jesus says, that's what I am, am to life. In the Greek, he's using this, this double emphatic when he says, I am real. He's talking about, I am the vine, I'm the real one. I am the realest realness, is what he's saying to them. He's saying, I'm the true source of life. There's gonna be other people, there's gonna be other things in your life that come to you, that tell you that they are a source of life and that you can tap into them for life, but they're not the source of life. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I'm the true source of life. And my father, he's the gardener which means he's in charge of my life. He's in charge of everything that's about to happen to me. Everything is under his loving care and control. I am the vine. I am a vine in the garden of my father and I trust him. And he's gonna present to them in this passage some pretty incredible news um, because he's going to invite them and us into the same reality, the same relationship. He's gonna say in a few verses, you are a branch in the garden of your heavenly father. In the vineyard, of Almighty God, you are a branch. You've probably not really dreamed about that. You've probably not written that down in like your journal, be like, I cannot wait. Might not have made your list of what you aspire to, But what we're going to see in this passage, there's no better call on your life. There's, there's no better thing that can be said over your life than that you are a branch connected to the true vine of Jesus in the vineyard of your heavenly father who is tending to your life like a good gardener would. So that you might produce a fruitful life, lasting and significant fruit through your life. Jesus is the vine giving you the life, and the father is the gardener, making sure that everything is working in accordance to the best purpose for your life. Just let that kind of let that sit, let that hang as we continue to work through the service or this this message. Look at verse 2. It says this, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, I don't know if, if any of you are in here are gardeners. I'm not a gardener, um, but I know that if you are a gardener, then by definition you are always looking after the plants. You're, you're always paying attention to how much uh, water they get, what the weather outside is, is going to be like, um, if, so if you got to cover the plants in those weird blankets that you cover them in, you're, you're checking the soil for bugs and for pests. One of our pastors here, uh, Brian Berger, used to play baseball for ASU and grew up baseball. He coached baseball in high school as well, um, and he's really into grass, like the grass in the lawn <laughs> that you grow. Um <laughs> you got to make it clear these days. So, like, like, he watches, like, YouTube videos of guys spreading topsoil over, like, lawns and fields. He's, like, losing his mind right now because there's, like, some brown spots in our lawn out there. But he t- he takes meticulous care, like, of his lawn and his and his plants. He's paying attention to that, like a good gardener does. A good gardener doesn't just like plant something and then go on vacation for three months and come back and hope, like, oh, I think it's just all going to be good. It's all going to be fruitful. No, you have to work in your garden every day. And what God is saying is, I want to be the daily person in your world always aware of the conditions always aware of what you need always looking after you so that at the end of the day you can have a life that produces fruit and part of that cultivating your life is pruning because it leads it leads to even more fruit he's saying it leads to something that's even better And in this verse here, he's talking about cutting off, but he's also talking about cutting back. And the cutting back is pruning that's necessary for good growth. I don't know if you've noticed the trees out there that we have, the mesquite trees. Well, they were just kind of growing wild, and they were like growing in a way that they weren't supposed to be growing, so we had to take some pretty drastic measures and cut them way back. You thought maybe we were just doing that for Halloween? Uh, Not quite. Um, But we had to cut major, major parts back to kind of retrain these trees. And in our own life, God often has to cut back things to retrain so that we'll be more fruitful, so that we'll grow more into what we're supposed to look like. And a lot of times what feels painful, what feels diminishing, what feels reducing, we can now face with a perspective of hope. The cross of Christ was the deepest pruning of all. And in three days, the fruitfulness of the resurrection and an empty grave and the reality of a risen Savior was on the other side of that pruning. And so, there, this could just be for some people in the room, but something miraculous and something fruitful is on the other side of every pruning that God does. And we can take that corporately as a community. And you can hold on to that individually as a child of God. That on the other side of your pruning, there's something miraculous. There's something fruitful that God is bringing to bear in your life. He's speaking really plainly here. He's, a, he's about to die, so he's not messing around. He says, this, here's how you know if you're connected to the vine. Here's how you know you're gonna bear fruit. And if you don't, you're gonna be a branch that is thrown off to the side and, you, and it will wither up in a pile and be burned up and be nothing. And here's what he's trying to say. We don't want to be putting our hope in what what we so often get tricked into, putting our hope into. Jesus is saying there should be fruit. There should be evidence in your life that God is at work in and through your life. That's how you know that you're connected to God. So if there is no fruit... If you come to a gathering like this and you're like, well, I'm really just kind of counting on this church attendance that I had, or I've got this other kind of like religious checklist that I'm kind of counting on, God is saying, listen, you need to really be considering what real fruit is showing up in your life because Jesus is inviting you into something different. He's inviting you into him, into the true vine." And to have you grow in and out of him in a life where the father is a gardener who tends to your life, not to hurt you, but to help you become everything that truly matters in this word. Look at verse three. He says this. He says, you are are, are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's saying, listen, if you have listened to my words, you've already been cut. You've already been purified because that's what the word of God does to us. It cuts us. It purifies us. And he's saying, you've already been pruned. You've already been purified. Look at verse 4. "'Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me.'" So God's whole invitation in this chapter, what he's really trying to boil down for them and for us is to remain in him. That's, he's saying, this, look, this is how life with me works. This is how life in the kingdom works. That, that's how we live lives that matter. We remain in him. It's not a long list of, hey guys, I'm about to go. Here's a long list of things you need to try harder at or try to get better at. He's saying, if you want to know what real life is, remain in in me, it begins. That word remain begins with that prefix re, which means do it again. So what he's saying is be in me again and again and again and again and again and again. Stay in me again and again and again. And keep staying in me because if you live life outside of me, you cannot have the life that I've promised. Stay in the main thing, which means that you are connected to the main one who is Jesus Christ. And you would think, you'd think... This would all be pretty obvious. We would be like, okay, next chapter, I think we got this. But we are so prone to forget this. We're so prone to wander, like the song says. Because I have to be locked into him all day, every day. I have to anchor my life to him in every respect. But we're not like that. We so often drift. So he's saying to them and to us, if you want to do what God has created you to do, you have to remain in me. Some versions will say, you have to abide in me, remaining. What what does that look like? Let me just real quick, briefly give you a a couple things. The first is prayer. And and all prayer, and I know prayer for so many of us can just be daunting, confusing. We don't get it. As soon as someone says prayer, we just immediately feel guilty. Like, okay, well, my prayer life is not what it should be. Here's prayer. Prayer is... Honest talk with Jesus in response to preaching, which preaching is just honest talk about Jesus. So honest talk with Jesus um, after honest talk about Jesus. Communion, the bread and the cup tie us in. They help us remain um, and abide. The word of God, the very words of God remind us of who he is. And then we're going to see in this chapter keeping the command to love Others, We remain and we trust Jesus enough to keep his command to love one another out of the deep resource of his love for us. And again, I, I feel like I say this every week, but I got to stop here. It's not that we have to work to achieve something from God and keep trying to get him to like us. That's not at all what the scripture teaches. It's not what Jesus is saying here. He's just saying there should be a day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, remaining in me, staying connected to the presence and the power of Jesus, not just floating through life on some kind of solo mission that's all about yourself, uh, you need to be connected to the true source of power. Let's look at the next few verses here. Verse five says this: He says, "I am the the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit." he says something really important here in verse 5. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Augustine said that the branch is suitable for the vine or the fire. There is a judgment here in these verses. And this verse describes the person who's had the opportunity to live in Jesus' home, to be a part of his family, to be in friendly communion and conversation with him. But who thinks, you know what, I could find a better life somewhere else. And this, per- per- this person is not promised that they're just gonna be well saved anyway because God is love and maybe because they're a good person. That's reckless teaching of the scriptures, not what the scripture teaches. John Calvin, who is the great doctor of Christian assurance, he hears Jesus' present warnings of being cut off as, cut off as salutary. He says, Christ is arousing anxiety. So if you read that and it makes you kind of nervous, it should because God is trying to get your attention. For some corrupt God's grace some suppress it maliciously and others choke it out by laziness. I reply that many are reckoned by man's opinion to be in the vine who in face have no root in the vine. In short, Calvin summarizes Jesus' exhortation to fear is not necessary for our riding flesh can uproot us. So listen, John Calvin took the doctrine of eternal security very seriously, but he felt the same way about the warnings of Jesus. Now, verse seven that we just read is what we talked about last week. Jesus is not telling us, again, that he's our own personal genie. We have to frame this verse in the right way. Uh, We don't wanna start thinking, well, I can just get God to do whatever it is that I want. The frame around the verse is if you remain in me and my words are remain in you. In other words, if you've sunk your life into the soil of Jesus and you've said, I'm in Christ and I'm for Christ and I'm alive in Christ and rooted in Jesus and everything I'm all about is about Jesus and you take all the words of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and you put all of that in you, what happens is when you start praying and when you ask God to do certain things from that position and from that posture, you are going to see God moving in power through your prayers. He's describing these close conversations or prayers that we have when we listen to him and talk to him about what he has said. And then he said, when you are in that position, I want you to talk to me about whatever it is that you want. Whatever it is that you want. Want When you are in that position, when, when you learn about me by listening and abiding. My wife's, verse, my wife's birthday is next week. And uh, usually about this time, I'll get a call from my mom who will say, what does Lauren want for her birthday? And the reason that she calls me is because I should know that. <clears throat> and I should know that. Because I abide and listen to and remain again and again and again with my wife. Now, that illustration could backfire hugely because as soon as this is done, she's going to say, so what did you tell your mom? I hope I got it right. So what Jesus invites us to Ask for our anythings or to ask for our whatevers, he's inviting us to be bold and brave and even think miraculously about our prayers in accordance with his desires. So we don't want to disrespect him with uh, like a name it, claim it posture, or we don't want to disrespect him by not asking and believing because Jesus is inviting us, church to pray like people who are securely loved, believing that God wants to produce fruit in us for his glory, for the good of the world. Now, if you are in you and you're not remaining in him, you are doing your own thing, you have your own agenda and your own mission, but you pick up a verse about getting whatever it is that you want, so you try that on, God's gonna say, listen, I would love to hear what that is. I would love to hear that. But first, I need you to remain in me. Let my word start remaining in you. And once that happens, you come back and we'll we'll talk again. Because when you talk to God with the word of Jesus remaining in you, you talk like how God would talk. And your prayer will shift and your prayer will change. He's saying the source of power in your prayer happens when you've sunk deep into Christ and sunk Christ's words deep into you. You find yourself becoming aligned with his heart in your world. And when that happens, your prayers will shake heaven and bring change on earth. And he says in verse eight, the point of all of that stuff is perfect submission and obedience of the Son, applied to us by the Spirit, growing fruit in us. He says, when that happens, makes the Father smile because of the work of the Son, and it makes the world marvel at who God is. Life with God flows from position, not from performance. You don't get life with God by going out and performing your hardest for God. You get life with God by being in the right position with God because of the work of the Son. The work of God bringing grace and mercy and love to bear on the world. That doesn't happen because we performed right. It happens because we are positioned right. And we have to first start with the position of what Jesus says here in this passage, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is so important because Jesus doesn't say, you know, apart from me, you can do some things. I'll give you that. Apart from me, uh, well, you can do at least like one thing or a few things. He says, remain in me, the true vine, because apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I, I talked about this a little bit last week, but I think as a church, we're so often trying to do ministry apart from remaining in Jesus. And and we are just kind of walking around and we're kind of doing our thing in our own power and we're hoping that God might sprinkle some kind of blessing on it, but we're just trying to do as much as we can on our own and we're like God, look at our ministry. Look at our ministry. Look what we are doing. And I think God might just be saying, "Look, I can totally see what you are doing in your power. Would you like to see what I can do in mine? It could just be God's looking at us and saying, yes, I see your ministry. Would you like to see mine? Because apart from me, you can't do anything. You don't have to strain to produce fruit but you have to remain. And we, when we are in Jesus, fruit is produced and God, God is glorified. The point of our fruit is to make the heart of God his mercy, his grace, his hope, his truth, his love to make that tangible and enjoyable for the people of the world. That is what fruit is all about that's what God is doing. You are a branch in God's vineyard and your heavenly father is the gardener and his plan is that the people of the world will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good and the way that they will do that is that you are going to bear Fruit, and you will be to them the expression of love and grace and the mercy and truth and hope of God. And they will take hold of what God is offering through your life of fruitfulness, and they'll know how good God is by the way you displayed Him through the fruit of your words and your deeds. And Jesus says, And all of that stuff is for the Father's glory. That from the fruit of your life, people would say, you know what? God is as good as you say he is. And he really does do what you say he can do. And I want him to do in me what you say he's doing in you. Thank you, God, for the fruit. And, and really, this is, this is what we want, right? Right? This is what we want. We want the stories around our lives to be the ones where our neighbors and our coworkers and our clients and our staff and whoever put, God puts right in front of us We want the story to be, you know what, when when you showed up in the neighborhood, when your family moved into the neighborhood, you, you know, or when you started working at this job, or when God put you in the classroom with me, or when we started playing pickleball together, you know, that's when Jesus became real to me. That was the moment that Jesus became, when when you came into my life, that was when Jesus became real to me. That's the story we want around our lives. And that happened because the fruit in your life was tangible and accessible to those people. And I'm giving God the glory for what he has grown in that person's life. And verse nine gives us the key to how that happens. We all want that story around our life. And verse nine is how that happened. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse nine, now remain in my love. We all want a fruitful life. How do we do it? Jesus says, remain in my love. If you want to be fruitful, you need to be transformed by Jesus, which is remaining. And the result of our fruitfulness becomes being formed more into Jesus. The condition for fruitfulness and the consequence of fruitfulness is being formed into the likeness of Jesus again and again and again and again and again. And Jesus says, and the result of that is the Father is glorified. But I wanna back up a second because the beginning of that verse, I don't know if if that struck anybody in the room because Jesus is saying something kind of crazy here. Look Look at the beginning of this verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, on a scale of one to a thousand, how much do you think the Father loves Jesus? Like a thousand, five thousand, a hundred thousand, like a million thousand? It's off the scale. You cannot measure it. It's that kind of love. And you look at that and you're like, that makes a ton of sense. Because the son never did anything against the father. He was always with him. He was always for him. The son and the father were always in perfect harmony. So why wouldn't the father love the son in that way? Of course he does. But Jesus is saying, check this out. Jesus is saying, you take how much the father loves me off the charts. No scale. Can't measure it. Jesus says, that's how much I love you. Off the scale. Can't measure it. You can't comprehend it. There's a part of me that wishes I could just like kind of close the Bible right now because this huge like praise party just like broke out because the reality of what I just said actually landed on you. Like you could just sit here and be like, I can't even believe I'm loved in that way. If you believe what verse nine is saying and you live out of that word over your life and you root into that and you plumb the depths of that, your life will never be the same because I am loved by Jesus in the same way that the Father loves the Son right now. Right now. Not when you finally kick the habit that you've been trying to kick. Not when you finally give a certain amount. Not when you, no, if you are a child of God right now, that's how deeply you're loved. And maybe it doesn't land on on us like it should because we don't always do what Jesus says to do in verse 9. Remain in my love. So just so we're all on the same page in this text, remain in me, remain in my love, again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Remember that I love you. Stay in me. Tap into the, my love for you, my source of love for you. Walk in that, wear that around, live out of that. And then he says this in verse 10, he says this, he says, uh, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Okay, we're going to go quick here, but we got some good stuff to get through. Augustine says of this, it's not that we keep his commands first and then he loves us, but that he loves us and then we keep his commandments. That's grace, which is revealed to the humble but hidden from the proud. Our keeping his commands is not what what determines his belovedness. That's not what he's saying there. But there should be a want to in us and we rest in that Jesus has already done everything to put us in right relationship with him. And that belovedness that we have is as deep and wide as the father's extravagant love for his own son. And I know when we start hearing words like commandments, it kind of stresses us out because like, oh man, commandments, here, the, here these come, right? But check out what the command is. He doesn't like roll out like a thousand commandments right here, he's like, hey guys, I'm about to leave, just so you know, here's a thousand things you have to do if you, if you wanna stay, if you wanna remain. No, he says, love each other the same way that I love you. That's it. If you wanna remain in my love, do this. And some of you are like, hey man, I think you are missing a whole lot You're missing a whole lot because you're not taking into consideration Romans and Ephesians and Corinthians and Timothy and Colossians, and James kills us over and over again. So I think you're missing like a whole swath, right? It's not just love your neighbor and the other people on the planet the same way that I loved you. It's just not that easy. But it is. When you go back to the Old Testament, to the Jewish teachings... They had something called the Shema. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter six. It was the core prayer of the Jewish faith. It was the core teaching that children would memorize. It would be literally tied to your wrist and your forehead. And it was what they said when they went through their prayer ritual. And it goes like this, Deuteronomy 6, four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframes of your houses and on your gates. This is the whole heart of Jewish faith. God is one. Love him with your whole heart and your mind and your strength again and again and again and again there's a moment where these religious leaders are trying to back Jesus into a a corner and they're they're like, what's the greatest commandment? And they're trying to test him. And Jesus is like, come on, guys. This is not a trick, trick question. You guys grew up as Jewish boys the same way I grew up as a Jewish boy. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he adds this little appendage at the end that kind of makes it work in the world that we live in. He says, love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Stay in love with God and love people like God loves you. Stay in love with Jesus and love people the same way that he loves you, that's it. In fact, in fact, don't take my word for it, Jesus says all the laws and all the prophets hinge. this. Every other commandment in the Bible is there because we didn't love God with all of our heart and we did not love our neighbor as ourselves. Think about the way that you have sinned against people in relationships with one another or attitudes you hold against other people. It's because you're not loving them the way that God loves you. And if you're sinning against yourself, if you're not remaining in God's love, you're wounding your own heart. Why would you ever wound your own heart if you were loving God and living in the love that he has for you? When you miss loving God and you miss the love that he has for you, that's when you start to lie to people. That's when you try to rip people off and take advantage of them. That's when you trample people. That's when you leave the vulnerable behind. You don't offer forgiveness. You're greedy and not generous. Why? Because you're not loving anybody the way that Christ does. And why not? because you're not remaining in his love, so you forgot that you were loved as much as Jesus is loved by the Father, and you didn't root into the true vine, and you went somewhere else or to something else, and you put your roots down into something, and you tried to suck life and significance and meaning and purpose and happiness and joy out of some other source that's not the true vine. And there might be a few laughs in that, Vine. There might be momentary glimpse of what you ultimately want, but there's not real life. There's not abundant life in that vine. And Jesus says, look, the joy that I'm offering you, complete joy, is only found in my love. And when you lock into that, it doesn't matter what you're going to walk through in this life. Circumstances might get crazy. They will get Crazy. But you can say, I'm remaining in that love. And then Jesus begins to describe that love. Look at verse 13. We're gonna go quick here. It says, this greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I'm no longer calling you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. He says, listen, all friendships are conditional. God loves you right where you are, but if you wanna be a friend of God, you have to receive his love and remain in his love and love people the way that he loves you if you wanna be a friend of God. You can't be trying to steal from people. You can't be gossiping about people. You can't be backbiting against people. You can't be trying to crush people and be a friend of God. You can be loved by God and do all those things, but the friendship is strained. Just like your friendships are strained when people walk away from you or mistreat you. And Jesus has that same kind of relationship with us. He loves you, but if you wanna be his friend and walk with him and you wanna have intimacy with him, you have to do what he commands. And what he commands is remain in my love for you, that your love for one another would be the same way that I love you. That's what friendship with Jesus looks like. The friends of Jesus Friends with Jesus, live in Jesus and let the love of Jesus live out of them. Those are friends of Christ. He's like, I'm not calling you to be servants. I'm not giving you just a bunch of random tasks to do for me. I'm interested in friendship. And to be friends, you have to believe into the love I have for you. And then out of that, you'll love others. Listen, it's the last night of Jesus' life. He's trying to get laser focused. He's trying to drill down into the hot lava core of who he is. He gives his most prized horizontal command. Believe in my heart for you and practice that heart with others. He says, like, a great friend gives up his life. The apostle Paul says in Romans 5, actually, he also gives up his life for his enemies too. Let's end With the last two verses here, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, verse 17. This is my command, love each other. Now, next week, we're gonna hear Jesus say, listen, just because we're friends, don't think the world's gonna throw you a party. It's gonna get really difficult Warfare is gonna break out like you've never seen. The bride of Christ is gonna come alive and war is going to break out. But I want you to know, I want you to know, I chose you, I appointed you, I chose you and I love you and I want you to bear fruit in the world. So what does that mean? Christian, this is what that means. It means every time that you walk into every doorway, every boardroom, every classroom, every meeting, every neighborhood, every youth sports event that you're in tonight, every family that might knock on your door with their kids and every family that you might be on somebody else's doorstep, every circumstance of your life, when you walk through that door, when you go into it, you go into it Chosen by God and loved the same way that the Father loved the Son. Trick or treat. Hey, how you doing? Just wanted you to know I got my friend Jesus here. He chose me. Bear fruit. I'm loved, same way the Father loves him. It's pretty amazing. Maybe the meeting you have this week doesn't go the way that you thought. Maybe the money doesn't show up like you thought it was going to. Maybe the doctor's visit doesn't end the way that you thought. But in all of those and in all the ones that go exactly how you wanted, you are chosen by God and loved in an off the charts kind of way so that you will bear lasting fruit in the world. So that next meeting that you have, just want everybody to know I brought my friend Jesus along with me. Loves me in a pretty incredible way. He rules the universe. He's before all things. All things are in him and through him and all things are ultimately for him. He calls me friend. He loves me in a pretty incredible way. And because we're friends, I'm gonna love you no matter what happens in this meeting. Somebody comes to pick you up on a date, you just need to let them know you're bringing a friend with you. (laughs) And when you're on that date, there's no pressure because you are loved and prized by your friend Jesus, just like he is loved and prized by his father. And I don't think you're ever gonna meet somebody on Christian Mingle who's gonna love you that way anyway, right? So there's no pressure, there's no pressure. Let's eat, bless God, this is gonna be a great date. Here's the point, we're done with this. In every circumstance, in every relationship, in every opportunity, when you remain in him, your remaining reminds you you are chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world and loved by majesty so that you can show that same kind of love to the world for the fame of the Father. You're not on a, just a random mission in this life, bouncing from thing to thing. You're a branch in the vineyard of God, and he's your gardener, and he takes every circumstance in your life to make it fruitful for your joy and for his glory. And Jesus doesn't take the disciples out of the reality. He knows how hard it is. And it doesn't mean that you have to pretend that whatever you're going through today is not hard or difficult because it is. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, we have to remember that Jesus is alive. He has a mission. He came to seek and to save and to serve and his plan and his purpose in your life cannot be thwarted. So in the trial, in the suffering and in the blessing, Remember, you are loved the same as the Son is. You are a friend of Jesus. You are chosen by God and appointed by God on a mission to bear the fruit of God. And that's our prayer. And I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're closing right now. That's the prayer, church, especially for us. This is the prayer. God, through your powerful Holy Spirit, would you make us completely aware of who you are and who we are in you and would we remain in your presence and your power and we wanna make ourselves available to you the same way that Jesus did. Just think about that this week as we close. How would your week change if you stepped into Monday morning saying, I am appointed by God, meaning he sets my appointments. And so I'm gonna remember to remain, to be in him and be in his love because I am a branch in the vineyard of God, the king of love. He is my father and he is tending to me and whatever doesn't bear fruit in my life, he's gonna chop it off. And when I do bear fruit, he's gonna cut off the edges so I can bear even more. Why? Because he loves me. Let me pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the way that you love us. And now as we enter into this time of communion, God, and we have this tangible reminder, the bread and the cup, God, let us and help us to remain in your love. And out of that, Let us love others the way that you've loved us. We pray these things in your name.